Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Janelle Green. She's a certified life and relationship coach and speaker who's on a mission to save marriages and heal families from generational trauma caused in childhood. Her journey includes quitting a very successful corporate job at 40 to pursue her passion for helping others heal. She's well known for helping couples return from the brink of separation and ultimately divorce in less than 30 days. Hello, Janelle. Welcome to Back to Basics. Thanks for having me, Tisa. I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, I, I love to have you here because A, you have one of those journeys and you tell us more about it where, you know, you went from corporate to really fulfill your your dream and, and passion. And I think that's a, something that a lot of people yearn for in finding how, how do we do that? So I know we're going to inspire many. And then, of course, you know, anybody that's married knows that it's not easy. You know, as my mom said, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And anybody that also shares some wisdom in that front, on that front, I think that's something that many can benefit from. So why don't you that why don't we start with the origin story? Where were you born, your childhood? I understand that very early on you knew what you wanted to do and you ended up maybe in jail for it. I want to hear that story. Oh my gosh, so many stories. Okay, so my name is Janelle. I live in Vancouver, Canada, which is about 20 minutes north of uh, this border, which borders close to Seattle on the West Coast. Uh, I've been with my husband for 17 years. Yeah, you know, I have a my I'm Filipino. I'm a first generation Canadian. And so I think that's really important to know because, you know, a lot of us who are first generation in North America have this struggle of trying to figure out what are the values that we bring from the old country and then what are the new values that we bring in from the new country and then how do we meld them together? to create our identity. And so, you know, talking about childhood, um, my childhood was great. My, my parents were really great role models. I was very blessed that way. You know, my parents went to church every week. Uh, they had a business together. They laughed. They did date night. They danced together. You know, I remember them cha-chaing together. Mm -hmm. um, my dad passed away at 53. So it's been about 20 years since he's oh, very young. been around. But what would happen and what got me to where I am is um, when I was nine, my dad had an affair with my mom's best friend and they mm -hmm. had a baby and he left. And so like, any other child, you know, that was a very traumatizing time in my life, especially I think being the eldest child, I was aware to things that my siblings were not aware to. And I ended up being my mom's sidekick, if you will, you know, and her protector, if I really think about it. And so I think that kind of caused me to create an identity where I wanted to help and, and protect people, really help them through their pain, you know? 
So about three years later, my dad would come back. He would ask my mom to take him back and ask for forgiveness. And my mom said yes. You know, my mom is a very godly woman and she loved my dad. Just kind of thought he did something really, really dumb. But she, at, at the end of the day, wanted us to be a family. And so she let him back in the house. And she said, you know, under two conditions. Number one, if you're here, you're here. None of this, you know, back and forth. And number two, we just forgive and we forget and we move on and we be happy. So my dad agreed to that. And for 13 years before he passed away, we had a really, really great family. My dad, you know, became a better man, became a better father, became a better husband. And so we got to be with him during his last moments of life and to love him. And so you would think, you know, that's a great story, Janelle, and you got your happily ever after. But actually, you know, I was in my mid-20s when this all happened. And this kind of same time, I'm thinking about relationships and, you know, potentially getting married. And and I realized that I was, the relationships I was getting into were very toxic ones with people who would hurt me. And then I got married to my first husband and was very unhappy. And so there was this moment where I kind of just stopped and said, what is it about me? that my life goes this way. Because I knew it wasn't any, I don't know, there was something about me that said, you need to look, you need to stop and look. And so I actually registered myself into a seminar. I actually registered both me and my husband into the seminar. And I registered ourselves, to be honest, to fix him. I was like, you need to get fixed. You know, I didn't see the problem with me. I saw the problem with him. And, but the funny thing is in the seminar, he pretty much slept through the whole thing. (laughs) But for me, I was on the edge of my seat, really listening and hearing about how our past often gets stuck in our future and we keep reliving old emotions. And what I saw in that moment was when I was nine years old, watching my dad leave that day, you know, and I'm also a daddy's girl. And Mm -hmm. what I decided that day was three things. Number one, I can't trust men. I can't trust anyone. Number two, I must be unlovable. Because if I was lovable, this is a nine-year-old mind, right? Mm-hmm, if I was lovable, dad would never leave. And number three, everybody I love will leave me. And I saw how this pattern and this feeling of neediness and anxiousness and, you know, this need for, for validation ran through my life. And so I would attract attention for the wrong reasons. And it wasn't until I did that work that I really started to realize that how much my dad's, that whole thing that happened when I was, you know, nine, 10 years old had impacted me even till now. And so that's my, that's how my journey started into self-development and growth. And I got really interested in psychology and just really looking at even ancestrally, what are the thoughts and beliefs that have made me who I am and what parts of those I actually don't resonate with. You know, oftentimes we grow up just believing everything that people tell us without really questioning it. And so we come up with these stories that we're dumb or we're not good enough or that everybody I love, everybody we love is going to cheat on us. Like we have all these stories that are like programs. And unless we clean it up, unless we heal that, unless we forgive ourselves, we are never going to be truly happy because we're, we're so stuck in our guilt and our shame that we can't even open our heart to love or forgive ourselves and each other for hurting ourselves. 
And so, you know, and then fast forward when I turned 40, you know what? I had a, this godly calling. I just, there was something in my heart that said, Janelle, this is, this is not for you anymore. I was working in corporate software sales and Leticia, I had just won a free trip to mm-hmm. Rome with my husband for a week. I won a top, a top producer's trip that was only given to the top 1% of the company. And I remember being in Rome and being in the Sistine Chapel and being with all these successful people and thinking to myself, this is great. And yet this isn't what I want. This is not the feeling I was trying to chase. And so I think like we chase these feelings and we get money and we work and we do all these things to try to fill this hole in our heart without realizing that it's not the money we're chasing. There's something else. But again, society tells us we need to have a really nice car and we have to have, you know, we need to be successful and make six figures to be happy. And yet so many people that are wealthy are unhappy. And so that's why I'm so excited about doing this work with clients, because I feel like it's just this curtain that gets drawn and they don't even realize that it's there. And when we can pull the curtain back they see a whole new possibility for themselves. And so instead of taking months or years to shift our behaviors, our emotions, our identity, it actually only takes a couple of weeks. And it's so fun when people can finally let go of all of that baggage, that emotional baggage that sometimes they don't even realize that we're carrying. And so I really feel that this work has been given to me by God to really disrupt how we treat each other. We talk about peace in the world and yet we can't even do that with our family. How are we Mm going to do that with other nations when we can't even do that for ourselves? And so that's why I'm on this mission and I'm really passionate about family because I Mm -hmm. see a generation where people don't even think about marriage anymore. It's not even part of life. Having children is like a, it's, It's a burden rather than this privilege because we're so driven by the wrong things. We forget all the values and all we care about is the superficial, the the recognition, the ego, the ego being fed rather than our hearts being fed. And the last thing I want to say is I've been married to my husband for 17 years. Here's what I would say about our marriage. Our marriage is easy. It takes work, but because we do the work, it's easy. We, you know, every single day, even though we are, you know, vibrating at a very high level, we never take our foot off the gas. We never forget why we're here. We never forget our commitment to each other. So every day we wake up, we show up for each other. We are best friends. And I think so many couples forget that piece. They just go into mommy, daddy mode, pay bills, drive children. They forget that there's this partnership, this this understanding, this respect, this team that is so powerful if you really understand how to use that. And so my husband is my teacher. He's my inspiration. He's my muse. You know, when I'm with my husband, I think to myself, man, if every couple can feel this way about each other, to have each other's back, like no kidding, and to have the loyalty and the committedness of being there for each other and having a a marriage that really is fun and passionate and joyous, you can have that. I just think people forget to make that a priority. 
Mm-hmm. That's so much, so much good stuff that you just shared that I'm like, oh, well, this is all very, very helpful. But my first thought would be, you know, you have had that opportunity to have that those two marriages. And now, you you know, you help people through that. So you probably, you know, and I've shared this on, on the podcast, but after so many episodes, it might be buried somewhere that right before I was about to get married, I think it was maybe two weeks before uh, my hairdresser sees me uh, reading a book about divorce. And so he's like having a heart attack, like you're about to get married and you're reading a book about divorce. And I say, well, because I want to know the issues before, you know, they happen. I want to be aware be well, so so that I can raise the red flag rather than it become I I read it before not after I got divorced mm-hmm. and you know he was looking at me like you're a weird person but you know I think it served me well and you know as you say you know marriage of course is not easy and 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 you know after decades you all you know have challenges but it, it's important to realize and to see those red flags so you now are you know sharing with us what a joyous marriage you're in. What would you have done differently or knowing what you know right now? What advice would you have given the younger version of yourself for your first marriage? That's a really great question. The first thing I saw for myself, because of course, I believe that every failure in life, there is always, always a lesson. And so I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. Even that marriage was not a regret because I learned so much. And what I learned first thing I saw was that I got married because I didn't want to be alone. It was from a place of fear rather than creation. You know, my dad had just passed away and I met my first husband maybe about three to six months later. And so now there was this figure in my, this male presence in my life that was missing. And also from my mother. And so I felt like it was more of an obligation than it was really like, I could really see myself with this person. It felt a little bit like a checklist. And so I think one of the things, you know, as I work with couples, one of the things I see is a lot of times they rush the process called getting married because they want to have the party, because they want to have a baby, because they don't want to be lonely. And I don't think those are the right reasons to get married. I think that there is a lot of conversations that people should be having and they're not having before they get married. They get swept up in the feeling of love, but they're not preparing themselves for what's about to come. It's kind of like driving a car at a hundred kilometers an hour without a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think you yeah. need to get the seatbelt and the seatbelt is required. So for example, love languages. Okay. Sex, I think, is, is, is important to a lot of people. And to some people, it's not important at all. And I meet couples who, for one person, it is detrimental. It is essential. There is a non-negotiable about it. And the other person is totally not interested. Could go years without, without it. And so you have two people who have very specific needs that it's never going to work. And I think to myself... Did you guys not discuss this one? <laughs> did, you know, did that not come up? But people don't want to rock the boat because it's like, oh, well, we're in, we're engaged. So I don't want to talk about these hard things, but we need to talk about the hard things before we get married. And I remember having a moment where I called my mom and I said, mom, I don't think, I don't think this is going to work. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom saying to me, oh, Janelle, you're just, you're just having cold feet. You're just being too picky. You're just, you know, just, she gave me a lot of excuses as to why I might be feeling that way. But in hindsight, that was my moment that my, my intuition was saying, Janelle, like, you need to, you need to, to really think about this. But I didn't listen. And so a lot of the couples I work with, what we actually do is we're working on just the foundation called trust, called friendship, which should have been done before the babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're kind of doing it in reverse, which is a lot harder because they don't actually get to know who each other is as humans before they become girlfriend, before they become fiancés, before they become married, before they become parents. Mm -hmm. Right. And the problem, I think the other thing, too, is that so many of us did not have the right role models. My my brother-in-law never knew his father and his mother never wanted him. And so he was always neglected. You know, he was homeless. He was on his own by the time he was 12. You know, and it, I can see the relationship with my sister is a huge struggle because the value systems are completely different. And so yeah, I think- value systems, value system are definitely a big, big thing that gets often um, underlooked. Absolutely. So you talk about it in your coaching and all that about a marriage mindset. So let's talk about that for anybody out there that is thinking about making this decision or is facing struggles is what is in your view of marriage mindset marriage mindset essentially is going from me to we Mm. i think as we you know we get we get married older we get into this routine that it's all about us and we like putting ourselves first which is great self-love is so important but in a marriage there has to be some compromise there has to be some self-sacrifice some patience what i also mean by a marriage mindset is to remember that even though we get in arguments to remember it's not malice it's usually mindlessness and i say this specifically for women because you know we get really upset when we have a certain expectation that we're like well of course like duh you should be, you know, you should take out the garbage. But for for men, their brains don't really work that way. And if we don't communicate it in the right way, either we're nagging or we're frustrated, we can't actually communicate what it is that we need because all we're doing is complaining. And so instead of hearing what the desire is, all is heard is the the resistance. And so it's very confusing to men. So we're not actually creating something. We're trying to prevent something, which is a very different kind of mindset. And so for me and my husband, yeah, we, you know, we, we disagree, but it never becomes this personal attack. Like, oh, you're lazy or you don't love me. It's never that. It's just like, oh, I forgot. Okay, great. When can you do that? I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, great. Thank you. There's not, there's no blame. There's no shame. There's no, it's really about being responsible for your integrity. As in, what is it that you're committed to? What did you say you're going to do? How did you say you're going to behave? If you say that what you want is love and joy and laughter and appreciation, but all you do is blame, complain, shame how are you going to make that bridge you can't they're in completely different worlds so you actually have to shift your way of being 
because being by yourself is a very different mindset than being in a marriage. And I'm not saying to give up who you are. Absolutely not. The right partner is going to love you for who you are. However, you have to remember you're dealing with another human being who, again, has different value sets slightly, who has different experience, has different um, morals. And you have to be able to work together like a team. And that's why I think having both parents and having siblings is so important because it's at home we learn to communicate these things. It's at home we learn to share. It's at home we learn to do conflict resolution. But if our home structure as children were not strong, we become these adults who don't actually know how to deal with other people. <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally, totally right. And, and it's, it is a little scary because you do see the family itself disintegrated as a unit. And the more, you know, the more we look into the future, the as you, you mentioned it before, less people are getting married. Uh, less people want to have ch children, or if they do want to have children, maybe they are not in a marriage or in a, in a couple situation where the kid has a lower chance in all reality to have a balance of bringing and different perspectives. Because I think that's also very important, you know, as a human being, who you become is also a variety of perspectives and people and your grandparents and your uncles and your aunts and the family unit, the extended family unit that yeah. really shapes who we become. Yes. You know, I, I'm born here in Canada, but I go home to the Philippines. I try every two to three years. Yes, to see my family, because my family is very big, of course. But more importantly, it reminds me of my roots. It reminds me of how lucky I am to live in North America. And it also reminds me of the suffering in the other side of the world that we don't see really, you know? And I think that is something that I'm so appreciative of to my family that my mom made sure that I had a close relationship with my family abroad mm. so, that I can, so I can develop compassion, so that I can develop generosity and charity in my heart. But my siblings didn't visit my family as much growing up. It was more me. And so their relationship is very different from my cousins. Mm. And so I think their perspective on charity and generosity is very different than mine. And I just have, I just have much more compassion for them because I've seen, I've spent more time with them and realized like, wow, there are still children in the Philippines. My family where kids don't go to, don't even get elementary school education because they're so poor. There's still Absolutely. kids that are running around the street that don't have shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a great point. It's a great point. And also it's food for thought. And you mentioned, I mean, I'm from Venezuela. So I always said, you know, I'm very blessed when going to school every day. We were privileged. We were middle class. But every you cannot live in those countries and forget for one second how lucky you are. If you are one of the lucky ones that has you know, a house to live in, food, because you are exposed to the to the not so lucky on a on a minute by minute basis. You know, you with the people when you're on the traffic light and you see the people that you know begging, and and so that absolutely is, is a great point. But also, I wonder if when if you took if you if we think about Europe, for instance, and you mentioned how we are chasing the wrong things, you, we think that the seven countries that are the happiest on earth allegedly are in Europe 
and that are in places where the family still has value, where the connecting with people has value, where people don't, you know, don't work so much and just exchange with each other. And when there's that connection, you know, and so I believe that definitely as much as I love the U.S., you know, there is this race towards chasing the material things sometimes. And, you know, when you live here, you 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 kind of feel it. You you feel it. And and, and detaching yourself sometimes is like a reconnection with, oh, yeah, there's a, a slower pace somewhere else. And I don't need this car and I don't need these things to be happy. And so do you feel that in the relationships and people you treat, that's a big component in terms of, I, I wonder, what do you think are the biggest contributors to the couple stresses? Yeah, I think time, kind of to what you're pointing to, right? Is like we're in this, in this hustle mentality and we hustle for our children. We hustle to give them the life that we never had, but we forget that what they want most of us, of all, is us. They want our time. You know, one of the beautiful things about my mom and my dad is they really made time for us. And my mom didn't teach me how to be a good person by telling me. She showed me in her action. She very rarely preached to me. It was always just me observing how she was with people, how generous she was, how, you know, she would tell me, I'm like, oh, mom, what are you doing on Sunday? Do you want to go out for lunch? And she's like, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm going downtown to go help the feed the homeless. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. But I think that time is the big thing. We don't have time. We don't have quality time. So many of my couples don't do date nights. They haven't been intimate in months because they're too busy or too tired. And then we have all this electronics. We have social media. We have Facebook. The kids have video games. And so we're creating these walls, these separations from each other. Because we're afraid to be bored. We're afraid to slow down. We're afraid to just focus on connecting rather than working. You know, in the Philippines, like Venezuela, there's a lot of unemployment. And so there's a lot of people on the street, but they're in community. And they're laughing. They're listening to music. They're dancing. And so, yeah, they might not have money. Yeah, they might not have work but they're happy and they take care of each other. I think that's the other thing with people in third world countries. They take care of one another, I think almost better than we do here in, in North America because they know how they know what it's like to, to struggle and to have hardship. And so they really lean on each other. So my family actually all live in one town. My mom has seven brothers and sisters and they have three to five to seven children each. And they have, so there's like this little community. So when I come home, it's like a block party because everybody's there, but everyone supports each other. It's quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah I love that. I love that. And I, I do feel it. I have, uh, I mean, I was born and raised in Venezuela, but my family is Sicilian. I've, I've shared this. So I go every every summer and visit the family in Sicily. And it's just like, you don't have to call people. They just, you know, if you walk, you know, down the street, you're going to find your friends, you know, where they are, they are where they were last year. And they, and they have a beautiful life, but it's just a, a very different community-based life. And, and I, I would say, I give the credit to my husband, whose theory is that the community life, you know, we have, it has to retain a certain number of people in the community. That's why you find smaller towns, People are happy 
where because if you have a community that's too big, then that it's by default is not going to be a, a tight community. And yeah. I do, you know, the older I get, I, I do believe he's onto something like where there are a certain number of people. I think the number was like less than 100. I, I think it's very small communities are they form this bond that it's something that we don't get in the bigger cities for sure. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why the Filipino community here was so tight, because back in the day, there were no Filipinos. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with all the the increase in immigration, all of a sudden they're clinging to each other and they all gravitate towards each other. And then they, they just create this little hive. And so, you know, I remember one of the most amazing memories I have as, as a child is just having so many people in my house. Half of them I don't know, but like there's at least a dozen children and they're all playing in the bedroom and then the adults are in the living room and they're doing their thing. But there's laughter and play. There's there was no video games. Right. It was just music, food and each other. Yes. Yes. That's so beautiful. And um, and, you know, so I know that you have a Web page and I want to make sure that people have it. And I know it's that. Uh, is it Save Our Marriage? That Save Our Marriage dot ca. That is a beautiful, beautiful name, and it will be on the show notes. But you know, yeah. I I want to make sure we stress this. So let's say you have a couple, you know, that say Save Our Marriage, and you say that in very little time you've seen couples turn around. Yes. Besides what we discuss, I mean, there's two potential avenues, right? The ones that you're going to be able to, they're going to be able to reconnect. And the ones that, as you say, maybe you say, this is not going to work. I mean, yeah. there's two possible. Tell us a little bit about both things. Like what happens for those that are able to reconnect? And when you have to face the truth and say, this potentially is never going to work. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot there. The first question I always get is, can we save this? Is there hope? Is really the first question. My answer is always yes. And it is up to you, not me, to determine if there is hope. Because if there is no hope for you, you're not going to do the things that are required to shift. Because there's going to be resignation, there's going to be doubt, cynicism. You're not going to be willing to change. But if you say, no, I do think there's hope. I do think I love that. We still love each other. And we just need someone to show us the way then those are the people that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. I believe there are very few things that cannot be worked out. Like, look at my parents. <laughs> yes, that's right? right. When you think, oh, I, I could never do that. Here's the thing. When you have kids and you're so committed to having the family of your dreams and something happens and you love your partner, you know that. But there, there's something that's happened. You're just like, how do I forgive is really the question. Yes. And, for and a lot of people think that they're not able to. They're not so able to. Yes, because, and here it comes, we were never taught what forgiveness truly is. When I ask my clients, what do you think forgiveness is? It's usually something about letting somebody off the hook. And so they don't want to let the person off the hook. Because if they did, that means that you're saying that what they did is okay. But that's not what forgiveness is. What forgiveness truly is starts with us because we allow someone else to impact our emotional way of being. 
to suffer, to have pain. But they never created that. We created that out of their behavior, but it was our choice to hold on to that. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove. Instead of lifting your hand up and walking away, you keep your hand on that hot stove and you continue to suffer long after the initial impact. Mm -hmm. But because we don't understand what forgiveness is, we think we have no choice except to leave our hand on that hot stove. And so to teach people that, First of all, what is the impact of not forgiving? You know, I have a client who has not talked to his brother in 40 years, mm. 40 years because of an argument they got into about their mom 40 years ago. And it was not even anything big anyway, but they've never learned how to forgive each other. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. What is the cost of, of not forgiving your brother? And he said, well, I don't know my nieces. I don't know my nephews. I don't know what's going on in his life. I have a whole side of my family that I don't even know. Yeah. So is that worth it to hold on to this thing with your brother? What if you just let it go? Well, if I let it go, then I'm letting him off the hook. And what is my mom going to say? Well, your mom wants you to forgive him is what she wants. (laughs) (laughs) But I think our ego, our pride, what other people say, well, you can't, don't forgive them. You can't let them get away with that. All of that feeds to this inability. But here's the thing. Peace, love, happiness cannot exist without forgiveness because we're dealing with other humans who are imperfect and oftentimes stupid. (laughs) Let's just Mm -hmm. be honest. And we have to be willing to, first of all, have compassion for ourselves that we're not perfect and forgive and learn to forgive ourselves. Then we can actually learn how to have compassion and forgiveness for other people. The problem is, is that we haven't done that for ourselves because we don't know how. So this is the thing. This is why my work is so amazing is because once I teach them this one concept that they just actually like get it, all of a sudden, everything starts to shift. Mm-hmm. And when I get let them know that, listen, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to want to be happy. It's okay to actually feel anger. That's so human. But the thing is, is you got to allow other people to feel anger. You got to allow other people to make mistakes. Now you can just be with and accept people for who they are without trying to judge them. Because you know, being a human is hard sometimes. Yes. And so my friends think that like, Janelle, you have so much compassion for people. I'm like, yeah, because just like me, they're just trying to do the best they can with what they, what they know. And my job is to take what they know and add to that toolkit so that they can go through life, not necessarily for life to be easier, but for them to have the knowledge, the confidence and the skills to navigate whatever life throws at them. So that's why I'm a lot different than a counselor or a therapist. Mm. Well, I I can see how you turn them around in 30 days. It's all very beautiful concepts. And uh, yeah, they're universal and and I think powerful. So Janelle, of all the things we talk, I always allow my guests to have an open microphone. I mean, you're a life coach, a a marriage coach, you're a speaker. Anything else that's exciting you these days that you want to share with the audience? Well, I am actually in the midst of cooking up my next big project. I am doing a work, a free workshop in the big, uh, end of this, uh, sorry, end of January. So in about a month, five weeks time, it's going to be a free event around creating relationship goals. 
And how do we make that shift from me to we, from negative to positive, from love, from forgiveness, right? From from resentment to forgiveness. So that's going to be happening. And I'm going to be launching my first group coaching program in February. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be delving into forgiveness. We're going to be delving into how do we heal the five-year-old inner wounds that our parents left when we were kids? And how do we create a new identity for 2024? How do we up-level from last year? Because I believe we need to focus on being 1% better every single day. But if we don't know what that looks like, we're just going to keep being the same old person we were yesterday. And that's no fun. Absolutely. Well, I thank you for sharing that. It will be on the show notes. And then my last question for you is, Besides helping out and saving marriages, what makes you tick? At the end of my life, when I get to the pearly gates of heaven and St. Peter says to me, Janelle, what did you do with your life? I can say a lot. Where before, when I was corporate, I could say I donated money, but that wasn't my heart. And so I think what makes me very special is I give my heart to my clients. I feel their pain. I love them. I listen. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We just want to be heard and we want to feel like we're not alone. Beautiful. You have to have uh, one of the best answers to what makes you tick. And I could say, you, I got the chills, you got teary-eyed. So you know that's the soul speaking. So thank you, Janelle, for sharing that uh, with me and with the audience. And uh, I cannot wait to see the amazing things uh, you're going to keep doing. So thank you for being here at Back to Basics. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.